Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. So I welcome you this morning to week number two of our series, Life in Gray. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever played the game or at least heard of the game called Scruples? Can I see your hands if you're familiar with the game Scruples? Well, if you haven't, no worries. Um, the name of the game actually tells you what the object of the game is. It is called um, the Game of Moral Dilemmas. And so I was looking to get a copy of the game this morning, and then I, I couldn't find one, and so I thought, I wonder if there's an app for that. There is. There's an app for everything, right? So there's a Scruples app, and I downloaded it, and I want to read to you a few of the questions that come from this game, Scruples. Here's one of them. A friend gets drunk and confides that recently she injured a cyclist and didn't stop. Do you report your friend? Here's another one. Your work assignment only takes up half of your time. Do you pursue personal projects while on the job? Scruples. Here's one more. The government sets up a DNA registry. Everyone must submit a DNA sample. Do you do it? Scruples. Let me give you another scruples question this morning to frame what we're talking about in this series. If you knew that you had to tell a lie to surprise someone that you loved, would you tell the lie? Let's do a straw poll this morning. How many of you say, under no circumstances, would I lie? I believe it's a sin. Can I see your hands? That, that would be you this morning. You are a bunch of immoral people in this church. I, Okay, so, so I'm assuming the rest of you, how many of you then would say, I could justify telling a lie if I knew it was going to surprise someone that I care deeply about? Can I see your hands? Ha, huh. uh, look at us this morning. I mean, I think we'd all agree, right, this is a little bit of a morally gray area, because when you go to Scripture, there's no two ways about it. The Bible builds a very clear case that lying is a sin. God does not advocate lying even though there are at least two instances in the Bible where someone lied and it actually came out with a, a favorable outcome without consequences, without repercussions. But, but by and large, I think we can all agree that lying in general uh, is a sin. It's, it's something we should not do. Well, I lied to my wife this week, multiple times, and I did it with a straight face. And why did I do it? I did it because it was all part of my way of doing something to surprise her and telling her that I loved her. And so in my mind, I could certainly justify what I was about to do. So here's the reality. Lying according to Scripture is a sin, but not every lie puts you at odds with God. Not every lie puts you in a wrong relationship with God. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Life in Gray. Every one of us at times move in and out of gray matter. The scripture actually talks about these gray matters and what we do when we come to gray issues. Now, the Bible's pretty clear that there are certain things uh, that are pretty black and white, but many of the issues of life and faith are gray areas. So what exactly then is a gray area? A gray area is a subject to which God does not speak explicitly. Somewhere suspended between the thou shalls 
and the thou shall nots of the Bible, there's a lot of gray matter. And that's what we're talking about in this series. So last weekend, if you're just joining us, um, we gave a, an aerial view, a 35,000 foot aerial view of a framework from which we can navigate through these gray areas of life. And so here's the framework, and there's actually four different levels that we talked about last weekend. Let me touch on them quickly this morning. The very first center of this is what we could call moral absolutes. These are the black and white issues of the Bible, and there's many of them. The Ten Commandments are a great illustration of moral absolutes, of the black and white issues of the Bible. I mean, there are things that God said. There's no mistaking what God meant when God said, do not murder, you shall not murder. There's no mistaking what God meant when he said, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. And then enter the scene, Jesus, who actually interjects a little bit of gray even into those things when he, in his very first sermon in Matthew 5 through, through chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges the interpretation of the moral absolutes. He absolutely raises them to an entirely different level. So here's what Jesus says. You have heard it said, you shall not commit murder. I say to you, everyone who entertains an angry thought against their brother and sister. Have I ever done that? Have I ever committed murder by thinking an angry thought against a brother or sister? Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks lustfully upon a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Have I ever done that? Have I ever been guilty of thinking things of looking at things, of going places that made me feel out of place? Have I ever been guilty of doing those things? The reality is we all struggle with the tension even in the moral absolutes because here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying God's laws, big L, also come with other moral laws, small L, that are significant, that are equally important. And so it, it is about being black and white, but it's about remembering there's a whole lot more heart here than what there is head. God wants us not just to know those things theologically. God wants us to live them out practically and in our relationships with one another. They impact the way that we behave as God's family. Then there's the second band, Christian traditions. Now these are things that we carry from the very first Christians that they did, that we practice today. Now these things are not moral absolutes, but they are time-tested traditions that we can kind of bank on. They're good for us. They're healthy. They're wholesome. God is honored when we do them. Communion is one of those. It's a great tradition. And it's one that we carry on here at Grace Crossing Church. But perhaps you've been raised in a, in a church environment or a church culture where communion was celebrated every week. Communion was offered every service that you went to. I grew up Catholic, so that was a practice that was kind of common in the Catholic Church. It was always made available to you. And, and, and there might be others who have come from a background where, in your experience in church, you receive communion the first Sunday of every month. Well, here at Grace Crossing Church, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that we don't have necessarily a rhyme or reason as to when we do communion. We do it usually typically one time per, per series. 
uh, but there have been series where we've offered it every single week. So here's the question, which is right? Which is, which is correct? Which is incorrect? The reality is, as you go out from the moral absolutes, there is a lot more latitude and flexibility for how we practice and how we live out these Christian traditions. They are not as cut and dry as the moral absolutes. And then we go out a little wider to an area that becomes a little grayer, and that's church standards. Every human organization and institution has certain standards that we are obligated, if we want to be part of that family, if we want to be part of that organization, that we might have to honor and abide. Now, these things are not absolutes. They are not deal breakers. They are not going to keep you out of heaven. But if you want to be a part of the life of that organization, it's probably something that you're going to be expected to honor. Here at Grace Crossing Church, we are a very diverse church. We are generationally diverse. Uh, We are denominationally diverse. Uh, We are ethnically diverse. We are also theologically diverse. We don't see that as a negative. In fact, we celebrate that as an enormous positive thing. It is actually a good thing. It's what brings the depth and the, the strength of character of Grace Crossing Church. I believe that wholeheartedly. But to be a part of certain... Uh, churches and certain organizations and Bible college, I had to honor certain things. Those are church standards. Well, the widest and perhaps where we find the most liberty, but it's the grayest area on this chart and on this concentric circle, is what we'll just simply call preferences and convictions. This is where things get really dicey. And the reason they get dicey is because one person who absolutely loves God can be fully convinced that something is wrong in their life. They should not do it. But another person who they're seated next to in church who equally loves God is fully convinced that doing that is acceptable and just fine in their relationship with God. It's hard because this is where the line often gets blurred in, in, in gray areas. The line becomes blurry between what we'll call scriptural directives and spiritual preferences. Scriptural directives are those things that God has very clearly spoken into, moral absolutes. But those spiritual preferences are things that God gives you permission to work out your salvation with fear and trembling before God, and you have to do what is right in your eyes as you stand before God. That's where the Lord wants all of us to be in our faith. That's part of the growth journey that we ought to all be in. And yet that's not where most of us live our lives. We have our very clear beliefs about the way things should be. And if everyone around us doesn't fall in line with those beliefs, we somehow want to keep them at arm's length. We, we somehow want to look differently at those individuals. And it happens all the time. And, and so here's the danger. Whenever we elevate our personal preferences, our personal standards, and equate them to God's standards, we are sinning. We are actually in, in, into a place in our life that is outside of God's preferred will for how we live out our life in gray. And so what we're doing in this series is we're leaning into the scriptural principles that can guide us as we think about life in gray. We're going to the word of God and saying, what does God's word teach us 
about how we navigate through life in gray. And speaking of that, I I brought a Bible with me this morning, a family Bible, that I thought I'd use this morning for our series and begin to use it as I teach the series, okay? This Bible actually is, was given to my wife recently. Uh, It was given to her by her dad. Uh, This Bible actually goes back several generations, so it, it is Kelly's maternal grandmother's great, 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 great uncle, something like that, was given actually as a wedding gift in, get this, 1892. There's nobody alive on earth who was around when that couple got married and when this Bible was given. Now, here's why I brought this this morning. Whoa, the dust is crazy. You can tell how many times I read my Bible, right? So, so this morning, here's why I brought this. There is an interesting section um, right tucked into Scripture. There's, o- whoa. There's obvi- whoa. There's obviously all these different sections where you can list matrimony, marriages, deaths, births. And then it's kind of interesting because it comes to this one point where there's this, this beautiful picture in it. And I don't want to destroy it, but I'll just try to hold it up here. But it's right here to, uh, to my left, to your right. I don't know if you can see it or read it, but it's called the Family Temperance Pledge. And here's what the Family Temperance Pledge says. We, the undersigned, solemnly promise by the help of God to abstain from the use of all intoxicating drinks as a beverage. Now there's a place where everybody can sign and it says he will bless all of those who walk before him in a perfect way. I noticed in the Bible, nobody signed it. (laughs) I can't get my kids to sign it, okay? (laughs) Now, here's the reality. Social drinking is not a new gray area. It's been around a long time. And though abstinence is a... is is for many people a very good choice, a lot of good reasons to do it. It's very commendable. You cannot lift up abstinence as a moral absolute. It is definitely one of those many gray areas. And so what are these principles that God's word uses to guide us as we think about this? Well, this morning I want to give you two overarching guiding questions followed by a passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning that actually speaks directly. There's there's a number of passages throughout the New Testament that do this, but we're going to look specifically at one passage of scripture that speaks into life in gray. But first, let me give you these two guiding questions. Here's the first. When it comes to gray matter, I think we should first and foremost ask ourselves this question. Is it wise? Is it wise? Andy Stanley calls this the best question ever, and for good reason. The Bible has a lot to say about wisdom. In fact, that word appears uh, at least 225 times throughout the Bible, the word wisdom. Here's just one of those in Proverbs. Listen to what it says, Proverbs 27, verse 12. The wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. What is true geographically is also true financially and physically 
and spiritually and relationally. There are many children and many adults acting like children who see the danger ahead of them and what they do is they throw caution to the wind and they move into an area of life that absolutely is going to lead them to a cliff that they're going to go over. Their life will implode. It's just a matter of time. And so here's the principle of this proverb. This is why this is written. If you see danger and you ignore it, you do so to your own risk. You actually do so to, your, to the jeopardy of your own life and put your own relationship with God and others in jeopardy. And so I think when it comes to these principles and it comes to this idea of life in gray, one of the very best questions we can ask is, is it wise? Is it wise? And, and secondly, here's another good guiding question. Is it positive? Is it positive? Here's something that I've learned in life. The person that I am today has been largely shaped by the influences of yesterday. And the person that I will be tomorrow will largely be shaped by what I allow to influence me today. And that is true of you as well. Whatever we allow into our life by way of influence can go a long way in shaping the person that we become. I believe this with all of my heart. We become like those that influence us the most. And that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us this piece of advice. Do not be deceived. Notice it. Bad company ruins good morals. No matter how strong our moral absolutes may be, no matter how strong our even personal convictions may be, The reality is it is the people around us who help affirm or shape the person that we're going to become, and that may not be the person that you want to become. And so in life, I think it's important we ask ourselves this question, and here's what I think is so insightful about this particular verse. Paul here grabs a quote, and he uses a quote, do not be deceived, he says, bad company ruins good morals. The question is, where's the quote from? Well, the quote is not from a, an Old Testament prophet. It's actually from a first century poet by the name of Menander. Menander was one of the best known poets, and he was one of the best known dramatists of the first century. Uh, he, he is credited with writing about 108 comedies, many of them that were performed in Greek theater. And it is believed that that quote, bad company ruins good morals, comes directly from a Menander comedy. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul's taking a cultural icon and building a spiritual axiom. Just think about that for a moment. You talk about life in gray. He's actually not using any of the Old Testament prophets. He grabs a first century poet who was irreligious and uses his own words to substantiate and build a scriptural principle and axiom. It would be like me taking the words from, oh, let's say a John Lennon song, let's say the song Imagine, and using those words to support some theological position. If you've never heard the song Imagine by John Lennon, you really need to expand your musical genre. Okay, 
Most of us here are familiar with it. You've got to wonder, looking back in the Scripture, what was happening in the first century church when they were doing something radical with their possessions. Here's actually what Acts chapter 4 says. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now here's the question. Was that a scriptural directive? Was that a moral absolute? Did God say anywhere that that's absolutely what we have to do, that we cannot own any possessions, that we cannot claim the rights to anything, that we can't deed homes to us or vehicles to us, that we can't have bank accounts, etc., etc., etc. The reality is, there is no directive that says that. But what the Bible does build an airtight case for is this, that everything that you do have, you cannot claim full ownership of. That actually what we steward, what we manage, doesn't really belong to us. It belongs to God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord, the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And let me add this, he also owns the hills on which the cattle graze. The Bible says God owns it all. He owns us and he owns everything that we have. We then are called to steward and manage under God's leadership those things that belong to him. And so it means we hold with open hands everything that we have and recognize that if God asks for it, we give it because it belongs not to us but to him. I know that's radical, but the important thing to note is it's not a moral absolute. The New Testament believers were responding to what God was doing to lead them. And yes, it got sticky. And yes, it got gray. But reality is they were being obedient to what they believed God said. You have to do this. And by the way, if there's anybody that wants to bring their deeds to church next weekend, we welcome it, okay? We welcome it. So let's talk about principles. What do we do? How do we respond? Well, The text of scripture I want to look at this morning, the passage, is found in Romans chapter 14. And and if you want to follow along, you can do that in the version app. You might have a copy of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, we have a complimentary one for you at our Connection Center following service. We'd love to resource your spiritual development. If you want to look at a copy of God's Word today, you can come up and grab this, okay, if you'd like. But, But here's the principles and here's the teaching that we get from Romans chapter 14 about how we do life in gray. Verses 1 and 2. Except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The entire chapter of Romans 14 is dealing with gray matter. It's those great things that Paul terms disputable matters. In other words, everybody doesn't see them exactly the same. 
And because everyone doesn't see them exactly the same, it often creates tension in interpersonal relationships. And that was the problem that Paul here is addressing. Paul is saying this, it doesn't really make a difference how you feel about a particular subject. When it comes to disputable matters, don't let it destroy the harmony of your interpersonal relationships. Don't let it impact how you feel about one another, how you treat one another. So apparently there were vegans in the first century that actually uh, believed that, that you should only eat vegetables and the Yellow Springs vegans were judging the Beaver Creek meat eaters <laughs> because we loved a nice steak cooked medium rare. And when we sat at tables together, the vegans were judging and looking down on the meat eaters and vice versa. And so Paul says, in these disputable matters, you have difference of opinion. That's all well and good. Verse three. The one who eats everything, in other words, complete liberty to eat whatever's laid before them, must not treat with contempt those who do not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them both. I want you to catch that. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master servants stand or fall, and they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. Now here's what I love about the promise of these verses. The promise is that we are accepted by God, not based on what we are at liberty to eat or we choose not to eat. Not based on what we say is acceptable to drink or what is not acceptable to drink. We are accepted by God completely and solely based upon what? Our relationship to him. That alone is what makes us acceptable to God and that is what helps us know with confidence that we will one day be able to stand before him and not feel condemned when we do. That's a great promise. Verse number five. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be carefully, should be fully convinced in their own mind. So Paul here now introduces another topic, another illustration. I did not grow up in a home that practiced the Sabbath. I didn't even know what the word meant until I came to faith in Christ when I was 16. And then it took me a number of years to really begin to understand anything about the Sabbath. So it was not, it was a foreign concept. It was a foreign word to me. Our family never practiced a Sunday as special. My wife, on the other hand, grew up in a family where Sunday was sacred. There were just things you didn't do on Sunday because it was sacred before God. So Sunday in Kelly's home was was designated for relationship with God and relationship with one another. There was no watching television. There was no reading comics. There was no doing housework or yard work. It was all about relationship with God and relationship with one another. But here's what you cannot escape. The Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. It is a moral absolute. Just let that settle. Some of you are going to be stuck there the rest of the service. But the reality is God does expect us to designate a period of time 
that we set aside as sacred to God to get recalibrated to heaven, to get our hearts back where they need to be. Life in this world beat God out of us every single day. And what we are called to do is to take a a day each week, just like God did, and set it aside as special to God, as sacred. Now, how do you do that? What day do you do that on? Well, for me, Sunday's a work day. So for me, I have to adjust the way that I live out my Sabbath. I have to change the way that I do it. But here's the point. It is important for every one of us to do what the scripture says here, to be fully convinced in our minds. The word mind there is the word conscience. Your conscience is that inner voice that tells you what is right and what is wrong. It's that inner voice that guides you into making those really tough decisions. And here's the reality. My conscience is different than yours. It is not my place to superimpose my conscience over yours. Nor is it yours to superimpose yours over someone else, right? What God says is that we must each be fully convinced where? In our minds. Not in my wife's mind. Even though she's a good conscience for me, it is important that I'm convinced in my mind that what I do before God is acceptable to him, is right before him. Verse number six. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. I think this is really an important principle, and here's why. Paul here is making an assumption. Nowhere in the scripture do we see that Paul knew clearly that those who ate vegetables did so to the Lord, to bring glory to God. Or those who abstained from certain meats did so to bring glory to God. What's he doing? He's doing and living out a principle that we believe in strongly here at Grace Crossing Church. We live it out. And here's the principle. Always assume positive intent. Always assume. I say this often to people, especially when it comes to their relationships. Because here's the reality. When it comes to somebody who hurts us or says something about us or disappoints us and we feel violated, we feel upset, we feel frustrated, We do not generally assume positive intent. We assume what? Negative intent. We don't give the benefit of the doubt. So so here's the point of what Paul is saying. Always give the benefit of the doubt. Always assume that what they're doing, they're doing is unto God to bring glory to him. It is not our place to try to judge the motive of why they're doing it. Always assume positive intent. Now you may need to go back and you may need to attest your assumptions with a person. Nothing wrong with that. But until you do that, always err on the side of, of intent, and that intent should always be positive until it's proven otherwise. Verse number 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every Knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account 
of ourselves to God. That passage, those verses, are both comforting and sobering all at the same time. Because what they assure me of is this. There is nobody in my life who is the judge and jury of the way I live out my life. I have one judge, capital J, and that's God. God one day will evaluate everything I did in my life, especially in the gray area. In the gray matter, God's going to look at it one day and it's going to be tested by his fire and God will choose and decide whether it was worthy of entrance into heaven or whether it's not and it needs forgiveness. And And before that day comes, what my job is, is to know that I am ultimately accountable to God for the way that I live out, especially my life when it comes to gray matter. Verse number 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Let me circle back to social drinking for a moment. Abstinence is not a moral absolute. But acting in love is a moral obligation for every single person who claims allegiance to Jesus. Every single one of us that say, I love God, I'm following Christ, I've given my heart to him, we have a moral obligation to our brother and sister to act in love. Even if a topic like abstinence, like social drinking, is not a moral absolute. So here at Grace Crossing Church, uh, Abstinence is not a a church standard. We don't say to people, if you want to be a member of Grace Crossing Church, you want to belong here, you want to serve and be a part of our family, you cannot drink, ever. Now, there are some people in this church that are fully convinced that it would be wrong at any point or at any time to take any sip of alcoholic beverage. They, They are fully convinced of it and persuaded. There are those on the other side who experience and express more liberty in that area that believe it's okay to do that. And I know who you are. I look at your Facebook posts, okay? And it's okay. And it's okay. Because here's the reality. We have differing opinions when it comes to that particular topic. So here at Grace Crossing Church, it is not a church standard. But what we say to everyone here that leads at Grace Crossing Church, that serves with us, and especially those who lead our connection groups. We simply say to them, we are asking you that when you are gathered together formally, and you are leading that group formally, that you not consume or offer alcoholic beverages while you're functioning as a connection group. You say, why do we do that? Why why have that there if it's not a moral absolute? Let me tell you why. We do it for one simple reason. We have people at Grace Crossing Church who are recovering or are recovered alcoholics. And what love tells us is that we, because of their struggle, it is our obligation to act in love toward them. 
and never put them in a place where they are going to feel spiritually compromised or spiritually unsafe. What people do outside of those moments and experiences are certainly up to them, but we simply say, this is our standard if you're going to be a part of leading one of our connection groups. We're asking you not to do that while you're together. Why? Because if it's distressing to a brother or sister, we have an obligation. And that obligation is to always act in love toward them. So we take hard stands. Where we believe love is being compromised. Love is being violated. That is one of the greatest guiding principles of everything we do when it comes to matters of gray. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let what you know to be good, to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore, and and Paul here gives us some really good advice. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. I feel like I'm in a disco right now. (laughs) If I break out in some Bee Gees right now, think nothing of it, okay? Listen, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. That's great advice. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Paul goes on for some more advice. All food is clean, but, if it is, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Now notice this. Notice this. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. By the way, this is not talking about those who are mature in the faith and strong in the faith. That's called legalism. If you are mature and strong in the faith, if it's not going to violate your relationship with God, but you are interposing your judgment, your conscience on another, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about someone who is younger in the faith, newer to the faith, someone who is struggling to get traction in their spiritual life. Those people are those that he's referring to that says, we cannot make them stumble. We cannot trip them up. We will take everything out of the way that gets in the way of the gospel in their life and everything that brings edification and growth and encouragement to them. We're gonna remove it. Next verse. And this is probably the best advice of all. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. That, friends, is perhaps the very best advice that Paul could ever give. And here's why. God has not deputized you to be his moral police. Neither has God deputized me to be his moral police. Do you know there are some people that believe, and they're fully persuaded of this, they believe their life mission It's to help point out the wrong in every other person of what they're doing that's not acceptable to God. They believe that's their life mission. They live out that life mission. Well, if that's you this morning, can I give you another life mission? Here's what I believe God says our life mission should be. Pray it, don't say it. 
There's my advice. There's Paul's advice. Pray it. Don't say it. Let me tell you, that will make you a lot healthier spiritually and emotionally. And it will make those in your relationship, those that you're in relationship with, a lot happier relationally when you do that. You can thank me for that free advice later, by the way. Final thing, verses 23, 22 and 23. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. You have ever wanted a definition for what sin is? You've ever wanted to know how do I characterize sin? Paul tells us here. Anything that you do not do with a clear conscience and in faith to God, the Bible says you can categorize it as sin. So with that in mind, I want to close with two questions this morning. And I want to encourage you to write them down. This is my challenge to you today. This is my takeaway. This is what I'm asking you to process before God as it relates to what we've talked about this morning. Two things I want you to reflect upon. Two things I want you to invite God into. Here are the questions. Question number one. What am I presently doing? What am I presently doing that my conscience informs me should stop? What am I presently doing that my conscience informs me should stop? In other words, Are there behaviors? Are there decisions? Are there gray areas that you have felt God's conviction on and you have not yet responded to? Because can I tell you here, there are some of you in this auditorium that all morning in your heart, you have just been applauding in your heart that somebody finally talked about social drinking and has given me permission. That's all well and good. There's another side to it. Some of us are far too liberal in the way that we live this thing out And we take too much liberty, and in doing so, we have completely violated what we believe that God has spoken to us about. We've actually violated our own conscience, and we do it often. We're not fully convinced it's okay, but we do it because others do it. We do it, and social drinking is just one of so many examples. But the point is this. Some of us need to loosen the bolts a little. Others of us need to tighten them. And so what is it I'm presently doing that my conscience informs me needs to stop? Here's the other side. Here's the other question. What is it that I am presently not doing that my faith informs me needs to start? What am I presently not doing that my faith informs me needs to start? For some of you here, it might be serving God and giving back of your time to the work of God's kingdom here at Grace Crossing Church. You can actually let us know immediately if you believe God has spoken to you and you have been delaying, you've been dragging your feet, but you know God says, listen, you gotta do this. You gotta get involved in your family. You gotta serve and give back. For some of you, it might be financially supporting Grace Crossing Church. You have felt that nudge. You believe God's asked you to take the step. You've not yet done it. And I wanna encourage you, take that step, trust God with your future and watch what God will do because of it. For some of you here, um, 
It's taking that step of spiritual growth. You feel stunted right now and you need some spiritual friends, some spiritual buddies that can help you grow in your faith. Well, I want to encourage you to take the next step and get involved in one of our connection groups. Find some people that you can get around you who will help you grow and inspire you to grow to the next level in your spiritual journey. For some of you, it might be sharing your faith. Some of you, God is encouraging you and he's given you opportunity to talk about his love in your life and what God has done for you and you've not taken that step. And I want to encourage you. Whatever it is that you are not presently doing that your faith is informing you you should do, there is no better day to become the person God wants you to be than today. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, I commit to you the thoughts that we've shared today. I want to thank you for what you're doing at Grace Crossing Church. I want to thank you that you're making us and and, and transforming us continually into the image of Jesus. And in every way, God, our hearts want to be pleasing to you. We want our minds and our thoughts to be honorable to you. We want to be an accurate reflection of both grace and truth just like Jesus was when he came. So God, help us to navigate through the tension that lies between grace and truth. We invite you into it, God, with us, because we know that on our own, we will not be sensitive, we will not hear, we will not obey. But we know that if we hear from you and if we give you permission, you'll guide us and direct us. And Lord, these principles this morning help us to start that journey. So God, we invite you as we process through those questions this week, give us wisdom, give us insight, and help us to be honest with ourselves so that we can grow up and be emotionally and spiritually healthy before you and in our relationship with one another. We love you, and we thank you for your presence here. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you this morning prayed a prayer with us, or this morning you know that you need to take a step Uh, in one of those areas, and you'd like to respond immediately. Grab that connection card in the seat pocket in front of you. You can fill it out, drop it in one at uh, our connection center, stop out there, or you can drop it in one of our giving boxes either way, and we would appreciate being able to come alongside of you. Stand if you will, and uh, God bless you as you are dismissed this morning. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web www.gracecrossingchurch.net We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.